everyone. This is Mike Winstead, president and co-founder of the Nehemiah Project. And you are listening to the Nehemiah Project podcast, where we replace hopelessness with hope. Well, today we are on another episode, Chad, of what is the purpose of life? Taking a look at the book of Ecclesiastes. Chad, how are you doing today, my friend? Doing good. Last week I was feeling a little under the weather, and this week I'm feeling back to 100%. Well, that's good. You had a nice restful weekend. Yeah. Yeah, it was fun hanging out with the kiddos. And uh, and it's one of those things where it went by too fast. But They always do. But uh, good time with the wife, good time with the kids, good time in worship with our church family. So can't complain, that's for sure. That's for sure. I had a good weekend, too. We're recording this on Monday for y'all listening, so yeah, that's yeah, why yeah. we're reminiscing of our <laughs> relaxing weekends. I'm just so grateful um, for my family and for my church family. You know, the weekends really are restorative for me most of the time, um, and that's simply because of the relationships that are God has put in my life, you know, so I'm very yeah. grateful for that. Well, today we're going to look at chapter 6, starting at verse 10, and we're going to read all the way through chapter 7, ending at verse 14, and Chapter 6, verse 10 begins Solomon's conclusions for the book of Ecclesiastes. Mm -hmm. Now, if you've been listening to this podcast series for some time, you'll remember that Solomon has been exploring all of the different avenues of purpose, if you will. The book's thesis statement is said in the third verse of the opening of the book of Ecclesiastes, and it says this, what does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? And this comes on the heels of the phrase, vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanities of vanities, all is vanity. And that is the word habel, which we have said on every single podcast, because if you get nothing else from the book of Ecclesiastes, understand what the word habel means. It means something transitory and unsatisfactory in nature, something vain. And mm-hmm. it comes from a root word that means to be led astray. And so it's very, it's like a caricature, caricature of the book. It explains these vain attempts to find meaning and purpose and lasting satisfaction in one's life in anything other than a worship of the true and living God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. This is ultimately what we know as New Testament Christians to be the answer. Yeah. And what Solomon knew as an Old Testament Israelite, part of the covenant chosen people of God was the only reason that we were created was to be imagers of the Lord God Almighty, Mm -hmm. to reflect his image and fill his earth with his image Mm -hmm. and thus glorify God and fulfill our purpose. And so he is exploring, like I said earlier, all these different avenues that, you know, the world even today, would say is the meaning of life, right? Yeah. The avenues of wealth, of power, of prestige, of accumulating uh, possessions, right? right? Of achievement, right? And he goes down all these various avenues, Chad, and he realizes all is still vanity. It's a striving after the wind. Yeah. You can see in our culture right now the the idea of fame or notoriety or approval, Um We'll read today. Even the the laughter of fools is like the the thorns crackling underneath a pot. Just mm. the that picture of just in our entertainment industry, how much time, effort, money. Even I was saying this the other day. This is kind of on topic. Why do celebrities 
who have no knowledge of anything really in terms of like how our world should be ran. Why do they have such a voice? <laughs> Why and do they feel the need to be right. sort of political? And they're listened to, right? These are people who, and it's no knock on them, they spend their life learning how to act well, which is great, Yeah, you know? But why sh- why do they have more of a voice in terms of real issues mm-hmm. just because of fame? And I say that because it shows, even in our culture, even like we look to that as better or successful or, yeah. you know, something. Something to be attained. Yeah. Like something noble. Right. And most of them got that out of pure luck, really. Yeah. You know? They work hard, right? But sure. at the end of the day, I think what you're saying is is that people are so prone to being led astray mm-hmm. that they devote their entire lives to, I love how you brought up the crackling of thorns under a pot. Right. That's a picture of just temporary things mm-hmm. that are being burned up. Right. You see? Right. And like like the Bible teaches, you know, in the last day of judgment, mm-hmm. right? God is going to have every human being dead and alive mm-hmm. stand before him. And even Christians, yeah. we will be judged, but our sin will not be judged because that's already been judged on the cross of Christ and been accepted right. because of his sacrifice. But we will be judged. Yeah. The Bible still says that we are going to be judged and we'll receive rewards. Yeah. You know, those rewards that we will get will be from things that we did that, like, as the Bible says, cannot be shaken. They have mm-hmm. eternal significance, mm-hmm. right? Like, like doing the will of God. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. The one who does the will of God will live forever, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Anything else, Pastor John MacArthur says, any superfluous thing yeah. that we have concerned ourselves with, that will be burned. Right. That will be gone. Right. It will not inherit the kingdom of God. Yeah. And so many people devote the majority of their lives to entertainment. So true. And I'm not even speaking of those who are in entertainment as a job. I mean, how many people go to work just to get the work done so they can come home, spend hours in front of the TV or video games or, you know, and I I like sports and football playoffs, but you hear people talk and you see people crying over their team winning. It's like, what are we doing? Yeah. It's a game. Like, you know, I I love sports and it's fun to root for your team, but like to a point of like, yeah, it, it doesn't mean that much. Yeah. <laughs> whether or not yeah. your team wins the Super Bowl or not. Yeah. You know, but but we hold that in such high regard. We would devote our hearts yeah. to those things. We too. worship them. Yeah. Yeah. People spend a ton of money to go to games or to or to go to places of entertainment. And a lot of times, unfortunately, and... And that has its place, but unfortunately, a lot of people spend money they don't have, yeah, or put themselves in major debt over the pursuit of these things that will be burnt up. And I just use that as one example. There's many right. others, the same thing, right. right? And Solomon tests many others, yeah. But you know, it's funny how the first one he does back in chapter two, he says, "Come now, I will test myself with pleasure. Mm-hmm. Don't deny yourself anything, right? Right. You deserve it, yeah. right?" You right. deserve this vacation. You deserve this new car. You deserve X, <laughs> right. Y, or Z. How many times right. have we heard that? Oh, my gosh. The entitlement <laughs> culture is running rampant right now in our in our country, especially for the younger uh, younger adults that are coming out with this expectation of, I'm supposed to get this job that makes 100000 or more, and I'm supposed to have this life. And it's like no one guarantees that. Right. That's not an entitlement. That's right. We're supposed to serve the Lord. We're supposed to steward what he gives us. 
find our hope and our joy and our worth in him, which then allows us to actually enjoy the gifts mm-hmm. and see them as gifts, but not as things that we deserve or we're entitled to. If you don't have enough money to go on a Disney vacation that costs five grand, don't then, go. Then you don't get to go. It's okay. And it's okay. <laughs> you know, it's okay. Yeah. It's all right. <laughs> it's all right. It's okay. Yeah. Well, I think we've, we've underscored, you know, just the thread that moves through this whole book so far is, you know, look, there are many things that are clamoring for your heart. Yeah. And because our heart is desperately sick and wicked, right? right. Jesus said that evil comes from within the heart of man. Jeremiah said, what I just said, that's where I got it from that the heart is desperately sick and who can understand it? It's wicked. Because we are prone to being led astray and because we want everything other than God, mm-hmm. right? We we spend our lives in in vain things, yeah. in, in, in unsatisfactory, transitory things. Yeah. And that's what Solomon has been explicitly saying, but he's made a couple of conclusions up until this point. And <clears throat> they're actually pretty straightforward. Number one, that we should cultivate a heart of gratitude and contentment yeah. as it pertains to our life because that's he says over and over again you have your lot in life mm-hmm. you know you have this little parcel if you want to call it right. in time and space and god has placed you listener right now in 2020 and mm-hmm. wherever country you're in and whatever you particularly are doing god has placed you there right mm-hmm. he is sovereign right mm-hmm. so he's underscoring the sovereignty of god and then he talks to he, he expresses you know this um, need for us to cultivate our heart attitude which with gratitude and contentment and he says it by saying that we should live life as being a gift from God mm-hmm. right and he says apart from God who can eat or who can have enjoyment in chapter two right mm-hmm. which is to say that if we don't have a um, faith filled relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. As New Testament Christians, we know who the, the name of God, uh, the Messiah. Then it's impossible to have true, lasting joy. Yeah. It's impossible to have true, lasting contentment. It's impossible to have true, lasting gratitude. We might be, you know, happy without God, right? But that's not joy. Mm-hmm. That's not biblical joy, right? Yeah. You may feel really gracious, grateful for a particular gift you've received. You've received, but it's not going to last because these things come in and out of our life. They're transitory. Mm -hmm. So let's begin, Chad, uh, the conclusions of Solomon, starting at chapter six, verse 10. I'll read uh, six verses and you finish this off. All right. And we're going to end at chapter seven, verse 14. Okay. Chapter six, verse 10 says, whatever has come, whatever has come to be has already been named and it is known what man is and that he is not able to dispute with one stronger than he. The more words, the more vanity, and what is the advantage to man? For who knows what is good for man while he lives the few days of his vain life, which he passes like a shadow? For who can tell man what will come after him under the sun? A good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death better than the day of birth. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart." Sorrow is better than laughter. For sadness of face, the heart is made glad. Mm. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. It is better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song 
of fools. For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of fools. This also is vanity. Surely oppression drives the wise into madness, and a bribe corrupts the heart. Better is the end of a thing than its beginning, and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. Say not, why were, why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. Wisdom is good with an inheritance, and advantage to those who see the sun. For the protection of wisdom is like the protection of money, and the advantage of knowledge is, the wisdom, is that wisdom pre, uh, preserves the life of him who has it. Consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he, ha- what he has made crooked? In the day of prosperity, be joyful, and in the day of adversity, consider. God has made the one as well as the other, so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. Wow. That's so powerful at the very end right there. Yeah, God's made it all. But I want to scroll back to the opening statements because they're, it's kind of like a word salad. It's really difficult <laughs> to translate mm-hmm. them in English. So, But the meaning is really, really straightforward and and I just kind of understood it even better as, as we just read it, Chad. So whatever has come to be has already been named and it is known what man is and that he is not able to dispute with one stronger than he. Okay, what mm-hmm. is Solomon talking about? Yeah. Well, number one, there's two characters there, man and one stronger than man. Yeah. Okay, the one stronger than man is God. We know that. We can just go back and look at Luke chapter 11. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> the Lord is speaking to some Pharisees and, and he's arguing with them and, and making them see their um, illogical conclusions that they're talking about, how they said, you know, that basically Jesus is doing what he's doing by the power of Beelzebul. Right. And then he says this, he says in chapter 11 of Luke, starting in verse 21, uh, when a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides the spoil. Whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. Now, mm-hmm. we don't have time to go into the whole context, but essentially what Jesus is saying is that he's stronger than Satan mm-hmm. and he can overcome Satan. Yeah. So we've done <clears throat> a little bit of study on who Satan was before the fall and who he is now. I mean, Satan was was a top angel, right? Yeah. So he's definitely a formidable foe as far as we're concerned, mm-hmm. right? Especially without Christ, we have no chance, right? Yeah. Yeah. So the point is, is that the one stronger than man is God in the context of Ecclesiastes. And that's the opening statement by Solomon. He basically says, there's nothing new under the sun. What has come has already been named. We know what man is, and we know that he's not able to change what God has done, mm-hmm. right? And he says that throughout the book. Then he says, the more words, the more vanity, and what is, what is the advantage to man? In chapter 5, we discussed how Solomon says, uh, man, these, these words, I remember when we were talking about this, these words scared the heck out of me. Mm-hmm. Basically, he says this, remember that God is in heaven and you are on earth, therefore let your words be few. Mm-hmm. Don't draw near to offer the sacrifice of fools, mm-hmm. for they do not know what they're doing is evil. Mm-hmm. Remember, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. We know that the heart is deceitful, yeah. wicked, corrupt. So don't speak more than you need to. Yeah. <laughs> so Solomon is just summing up. These are his conclusions, right? Verse 12, for who knows what is good for man while he lives on the few days of his vain life, which he passes like a shadow? For who can tell man what will be after him under the sun? How can you sit there and be so confident mm. that you are going to do X, Y, and Z tomorrow when you don't even know what's going to happen five minutes from now? Yeah. Your wisdom is limited, mm-hmm. and there is one stronger than you, and he knows all things. Mm-hmm. So 
that's where Solomon is reminding the reader to set their mind before he gets into his comparisons. Chad, why don't you just go over some of these comparisons? We see a lot of, you know, X is better than Y statements here. One of the ones that uh, stick out to me is verse 2 of 7, chapter 7. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind. The living will lay it to heart. This reminds me of the Beatitudes when Mm. Jesus starts out in chapter 5 of Matthew, starting in verse 3. He says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. That idea there of mourning, this what Solomon's speaking to here is a mourning of your sin, Mm. an understanding, a sobriety of your sin. That's what Jesus is speaking to as well. Blessed are those who mourn. And you see in James chapter 4 where it talks about the same thing, like mourn, mourn your sin Mm -hmm. because godly sorrow leads to repentance and that's where you find wisdom. That's where you find humility is when you mourn over your sin, when you realize the total depravity of your sin and the need for a Savior, the need for God in your life. Mm -hmm. That's when you become wise because then, just like you talked about what Solomon is saying there, you don't know what's coming next, but God does. That's right. And you begin to seek to honor God, and you begin to steward your life in the way that God has designed it. You begin to fear the Lord rightly, which is the beginning of knowledge and wisdom, what Solomon says in Proverbs right. 1, chapter, verse 7. So this contrast that he has with foolish laughter and and all these vain pursuits mm-hmm is contrasted with this humility of heart, meekness, right? Meekness is not weakness. Meek meek just means strength controlled or mm-hmm. understanding that God is in control and I'm seeking his power and his control in my life. Yeah. Right? That's that's not a vain pursuit. Mm-hmm. Right? That that leads to life, eternal life, wisdom. Um Thinking that you're strong in yourself, thinking highly of yourself, is that foolish pursuit. Mm-hmm. And that's what's going to lead to the vanity of life. Yeah, the fool says in his heart that there is no God. That's what it says in Psalm, uh, right. I think it's Psalm 12 or Psalm 14. But we don't, as Christians, we, we don't want to be like the fools, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, in verse And we're four, prone to be like that. Yeah. And Solomon goes on to say in verse 4, the heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, mm-hmm. but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. Mm. And I think he's speaking there too. I don't, I don't know if you have any in your study notes about what mirth is representing there, but I think in context, just in this house of vanity or house of um, looking to, you know, riches or successes or all that kind of stuff. Yeah, mirth was associated with burial. Mm. So death. Death. Right, yeah. He's so, in the house of mirth. So then he's speaking there specifically of the wages of sin is what? Yeah. Death. Yeah, precisely. I want to just make a comment on verses 10, 12 uh, through 14 as well. Say not, why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. Again, harping on the fact that man's wisdom is limited, right? Mm. How can you say that the days that were behind you were better than the days that are in front of you right. or the day that you're currently living in. You have no idea what's about to happen, right? Mm-hmm. It could be the best day of your life, right? right? You can, it's, he, take, he, takes a to, he takes a change yeah. of tone here, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, it could be the best day. It could be the worst day. Yeah. Either way, you don't know. You don't know, right? And that's that's the idea. And But we're not talking about <clears throat> living in the moment, right? Mm-hmm. That is not what this is saying, mm-hmm. right? This is just saying understanding your true condition before a holy God, right? Mm-hmm. Limited, weak. Right. Honestly, I mean, I don't mean to be insensitive here. It's pitiful, right? Yeah. I mean, in all reality, mm-hmm. it's like, you know, there's a pastor, his name is Francis Chan. He, I was listening to him a long time ago. And he talked about God's sovereignty and he likened it to like holding a Petri dish full of ants and God is the one who's looking in the Petri dish, you know, and when he's talking about salvation, he just picks one of those up, ants up out of the kingdom of darkness and places it in the kingdom of light. You know, it's like, when you think of it like that, it's like, wow, mm-hmm. we actually are quite pitiful. Um, yeah. Just taking an honest assessment of our lives, you know, and it should throw us at the feet of Christ, you know, right. God is merciful. He is mm-hmm. the one who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin, but by no means will clear mm-hmm. the guilty. Mm-hmm. But he's made a way for you to be cleared, yeah. right? We're all guilty. And so I got a little off track right there with what I was saying, but Chad, you look like well, you got something to say. When you said living in the moment, you're right. Living in the moment for yourself is equally as wrong as living in the past or in the future. But Jesus makes it very clear in Matthew 6. Seek first his mm-hmm. kingdom and his righteousness. Which we what we do is we're we seek to be faithful in the moment. Mm-hmm. We seek to seek his kingdom and honor God in the moments of life. Yeah. And that's what sets up a lifetime of faithfulness. Mm-hmm. That's what allows us to do God's will is when we are seeking his kingdom in the moments, mm-hmm. not your own kingdom. So just to uh, I love that because it flows right into what Solomon really ends with here. He's he's staying on that that subject of wisdom, right? And we say things like, you know, why was it so much better in high school than it is now? Or why was it so much better in college? (laughs) You know, we say that not from wisdom, right? Because wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And he goes on to say that wisdom is good with an inheritance and advantage to those who see the sun for the protection of wisdom is like the protection of money. And the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of him who has it. Consider the work of God. This is one of the phrases that he said over and over again in this book. Consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked, Mm. right? In the day of prosperity, be joyful. In the day of adversity, consider God has made the one as well as the other. So that man may not find out anything that will be after him. It's as if sovereign God just keeps man in this humble state, Mm. right? I mean, he... the world is constantly shifting and changing and we can't control it. So Solomon says, hey, in the day of prosperity, be joyful. Understand you've been given a gift from God. In the day of adversity, act appropriately. Understand it's from the same God. You see? It should, and the way that he ultimately gets to is, is like we've said already, is by driving us to fear the Lord and obey his commandments. Right. And there's certain heart attitudes that we always talk about mm-hmm. on this podcast that that are reflective of a person who is there. Mm-hmm. You see? Mm-hmm. Any comments before we end the podcast? No, I think you're exactly right. It reminds me of James chapter 1. Mm. Consider it joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for the trials produce a steadfastness of faith. A staying power. A staying power, right. So God's number one concern for his children is their holiness their Christ-likeness. He is preparing a people for himself. Yeah, And so God is right in the day of blessing and in the day of trial, mm-hmm. right? Because he's using all of it for the good of those who love him, 
for the purpose of making them to the image of his son. Mm-hmm. That's Romans eight twenty eight and 29. So in those days of trial, we consider it joy, not because the trial is joyful, right? but because we understand that God has a purpose for it and that our end, what we are striving towards, what we are hoping in is that eternal life, that, yeah. that day and time when, when the end comes and we are with God forever. Mm. This life is not what we live for. We're not supposed to live for this life. This life is a training ground, a time of trial, a time of preparing us, preparing a people where God is preparing his bride and mm-hmm. wants his bride to be holy. Yes. Right? So if you find yourself going through your life <clears throat> right now or soon or at some point in your life and, you know, you've, you've been led astray, you've been chasing after an idol, mm-hmm. something that you think will fill your life with purpose and meaning. Right. And you find out that it's all vanity. Mm-hmm. Well, that situation is actually a gift when it's viewed rightly because it exposes your heart attitude, mm-hmm. the flesh. It exposes the unredeemed humanity of your being. Mm-hmm. And the word is like a knife. It exposes the thoughts and intentions and discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Mm-hmm. And it will cut them away, mm-hmm. right? Through repentance, confession. Confession, homologeo in the Greek, saying the same thing as God. Mm-hmm. That's what confession is. God, you are right in your diagnosis of me. Mm-hmm. I am a sinner. You are a holy God. You are also a God who forgives, and you've forgiven through your son, Jesus Christ. So if you find yourself in one of those situations, that's what you should do. And we would encourage you to do that because God is a forgiving God. He is a forgiving God. Well, we thank you all for listening to another episode of the Nehemiah Project podcast. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Nehemiah Project podcast. For more resources about addiction recovery, suicide prevention, and overcoming other life-controlling issues, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram and visit our website, tnproject.org. If you or someone you love is struggling, don't hesitate to reach out to us by calling 985-205-3022.